privilege to be preaching here at this church uh, on the day of our 114th anniversary, and every day it is a privilege to be part of this congregation. And uh, following up on Jordan's wonderful children's sermon with the children today, I just want to remind you that um, in the New Testament we have really essentially, with a few exceptions, two literary types. We have gospel, there are four of those, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then we have a lot of letters, epistles, we call them. And today's reading from the sixth chapter of the letter to the Ephesians in the New Testament is a unique and very famous text. It talks about helmets and swords and armor. And really, this part of the very end of Ephesians is sort of a parting exhortation like the last few sentences of a rousing pep talk a football coach gives his players right before they go back out into the field for the second half of the state championship game. It's the last thing he says. It goes like this, our second or our primary reading for this morning's worship service. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand on that evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand, therefore, and fasten the belt of truth around your waist, and put on the breastplate of righteousness. As shoes for your feet, put on whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. With all of these, take the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, whether you can buckle it or not, and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. This is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. May the meditations of our hearts together this morning be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Put on the whole armor of God, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the sword of the Spirit. Whenever I look at this passage from Ephesians, which is kind of a challenging letter to understand, I can't help wondering why the readers of this letter need all this gear. A helmet, a sword, a spear, a breastplate. What kind of fight are they about to get into? We don't know. And we don't know because, as with all the letters in the Bible, in the New Testament in particular, We only have half the conversation. We just have the letter to the Ephesians. We don't have any letters from the Ephesians talking about the challenge they're about to face, explaining their problem, asking for encouragement or help. But whatever it is, it looks like there's something at stake for these Christians way back when, and they need some firepower. So these verses from the sixth chapter of Ephesians are like that moment in a Western movie or a cop film when, with exciting music playing, the good guys grab their rifles and their pistols, they cock the rifles and they spin the little 
thingamajiggy on the, on the, on the pistols, <laughs> and they check to see if everything's clean and working, and then with a sort of self-assured nod to each other, they go out to the OK Corral or to take on whoever they're taking on, the bad guys. Because you do feel more confident in life when you've got some firepower. I know I do. As a kid, one of my favorite movies, this tells you how old I am, which I used to watch at night on network television sometimes, was the movie from 1973 called Walking Tall. The original Walking Tall film. How many of you by hand are familiar with that movie? There we go. I strongly recommend it to you, to you youngsters out there. It's very 70s looking, but it's an incredible film. It's about a six foot six local sheriff by the name of Buford Pusser, who takes on organized crime in the state of Tennessee. The movie is based on an actual person and a true story. In high school, the real Buf Buford Pusser was six foot six. He played football and, as you might expect, basketball. Then he became a Marine. Then he became a, pro a professional wrestler in Chicago who went by the name of Buford the Bull. And when he hung up his leotards, Buford moved back to his home state of Tennessee, where the, as the county sheriff, he took on organized crime in that part of Tennessee, primarily called the Dixie Mafia, whose headquarters, and I'm not making this up, was a bar called the Lucky Strike Roadhouse. And as a result of him challenging long-standing criminal uh, elements in Tennessee, all through the movie, Buford Pusser is beaten up, harassed, and stalked, and he's shot more than once. But it's only the murder of his wife, Pauline, that sends him over the edge. And in the movie, unlike in real life, where it didn't work out quite so neatly, Buford Pusser uses a four-foot hickory club and a very fast car to get the ultimate revenge on the assassins. And that is walking tall which I think is why this film is a cult classic now. There was one made in 04 with The Rock, not nearly as good. We'd all like to walk that kind of tall. I was six feet at 13 years old, pretty coordinated, pretty fast. I thought, a lot of people thought, that by the time I was done, I'd be as big, if not bigger, than Buford Pusser. And with that extra few inches, there'd be no stopping me on the field or on the court. It didn't work out. I think at times in life, we're all looking for an advantage to give us the confidence we need to walk tall through life. We think to ourselves, give me a four-foot hickory club or a fast car, give me a great job, a great family, a nice house, a fat bank account, or at least some security. Give me a shiny resume, a lot of affirmation and respect, a lot of likes on Instagram or Facebook, and baby, I can do anything when I'm walking tall. But confidence like that is hard to come by. It can be a mirage, actually. There's a great story about the famously confident President Theodore Roosevelt on his first day in heaven. All the new arrivals were patiently waiting in line there at the pearly gates, waiting to get in, while the heavenly choir of angels sang for them from the other side of the gate. But after just a few minutes in line, Roosevelt walked right up to St. Peter and said, your choir here is weak, Peter, inexcusably weak. I can hardly hear them, and the basses are flat. 
You need to make your choir stronger and better, and you need to do it right now. So St. Peter, being a nice guy, assigned Teddy Roosevelt, the rough rider, the job of reorganizing the heavenly choir. Immediately, Roosevelt, as you would expect, because he's a confident guy, started giving orders. OK, I'm going to need 10,000 new sopranos. I'm going to need 10,000 altos and 10,000 tenors. You got it, St. Peter? OK, St. Peter replied, but what about the basses? Oh, don't worry, said Teddy. I'll sing bass. <laughs> when you have that kind of confidence in life, then you're walking tall. If we feel like that, we can do anything. Or can we? Because if you think about it, it's people like that, people who on the outside seem to be pretty sure of themselves, pretty confident, who a lot of times on the inside are the most insecure. Calm and self-assured on the surface like a duck, but underneath struggling, paddling mightily sometimes. Lots of sizzle, not a lot of steak. The problem, and this is a human problem, I think, is that confidence in ourselves alone, by ourselves, no matter how much we acquire or achieve, no matter what kind of weapons or armor we've got going for us, is a mirage. Or maybe better as an image or a metaphor, confidence in the desert. You desperately want to get there, and you can get there, but pretty soon, once you get to the oasis and hang out for a little while, everything you really need runs out. Confidence like that doesn't last very long. It slips through your fingers like water. And so most of us, most of the time, we desperately keep reaching and searching for more confidence wherever we can get it, especially when we're challenged going in a lot of different directions, and we do whatever we convince ourselves we have to do to find it. Someone reading the Ephesians letter is facing or will be facing something they cannot beat alone. They need help, the writer thinks. It's presented in this letter today in the passage we read as a spiritual battle, the forces of good against the forces of evil, of God and the devil. This is not Presbyterian talk but it's right there in the Bible, and we're Bible people. And I'd like to blame my own lack of confidence on the devil. The devil made me do it. But you know, as I think about this text this week, I think every struggle we face comes down to us, just like Adam and Eve, when they bought the line from the serpent who said to them, you will not die. You will be like God. You can do it all by yourself. And of course, that's where the problems start. And like the very first humans, like the very first Christians, we let ourselves be convinced again and again that we can and that we should do it alone. That we don't need any help, that we shouldn't be asking for any help from anywhere or anyone beyond what we can muster ourselves. When I was young, I was really bad at asking for help. I waited for my mother to figure it out. She was the only one who could especially when I needed it most. I'm still not good at it. A lot of us aren't good at it. I always felt that I should be able to do it on my own, to not burden other people with my needs, that people wouldn't accept me if I couldn't do it on my own. Virginia Woolf, an amazing writer, once said, the eyes of others are our prisons, their thoughts are cages. 
For centuries, the Ephesians letter in the New Testament was considered to be one of Paul's, the Apostle Paul's, authentic series of letters that are also in the New Testament. Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, for example, Galatians. But today, language and thematic differences in Ephesians lead most scholars to now believe that this is a later document than Paul's writing. Paul wrote in the 50s AD, about 20 years after Jesus died and was raised, that this document comes maybe in the 60s or 70s, about the time the Gospels were being written, at least the Gospel of Mark, and that this document is in the voice of someone in the Pauline tradition, we call it, someone who wants to be, who, who studies with and uh, studies about Paul, who is sending what we call a circular letter, not to one church with one set of problems and challenges, but to a lot of churches. Kind of like the Pony Express, it went from one place to another. So this is a letter, this Ephesians letter, to all Christians, to any church, any Christian at any time. It's a human letter, if you will. And as I look this week at uh, it, I especially see that this last part of Ephesians, right at the end, the climax, gets right at the serious undiagnosed illness that we all catch all too easily at times, a sickness that might even be more of a threat to us and more contagious and more destructive than the worst disease we can think of. And that sickness is a lack of confidence, a private, secret, agonizing lack of confidence. Because even when we look like we're walking tall or that we've got a big stick or a lot going for us, too many times we're not. Our secret, desperate search for confidence does damage. It's like a dog chasing its tail. It never ends. We feel we can't admit it to anybody. We're afraid they'll see us as something other than problem-free or strong. We're afraid they won't accept us or love us. We're restless and we struggle inside. We make bad decisions. And it's contagious, this lack of confidence. And I see it a lot in kids. I see it a lot in adults in a world that values achievement and accomplishment, celebrates doing well, all the things that give us confidence, but doesn't do as well talking about honestly about all the ways we don't measure up when we don't do well. And we know what we show on the outside doesn't match what's going on inside of us. We keep our distance from the people around us, or at least we're not as present with them as much as we'd like to be. We do need something like those Ephesians, whoever they were, who were reading this letter, all those different churches, all those different people just like us way back when. We do need some kind of helmet. We need some kind of shield and sword, breastplate. The weapons that we use out in the world that the world values, achievement, respect, security, good job, good education, if they are only what we put our confidence in, then they're part of our illness. So if it's not our weapons of war or achievement that we can use, what is Ephesians talking about? Look at the words again closely. The author says, be strong in the Lord, not yourself, in the Lord. Put on the armor of God, the shield and the sword. You don't have to go out there and get them, find them, earn them, win them, pay for them. You've got them. Just as Jordan said, they're yours already. That's your gift as a human being, as a child of God. All you have to do to put on the armor of God is remember again 
All we have to do to put on the armor of God is to remember again and again and again who you are and whose you are. You are Pambinelli, child of God. You are Madison, child of God. You are Jaden, child of God. You are Jack, child of God. This church has been baptizing small people and big people, teenagers and adults and babies for 114 years. It's a lot of water. And every time we do it, and we take the time to do it, we have that privilege of telling someone, you already have everything you need to live a confident life. You have already been given, if you want it, and just put it on, that inner peace, that inner certainty that makes all the difference. Confidence is knowing who you are and whose you are. We just promised to tell Maddie, Jack, and Jaden that for the rest of their lives. Who they are and whose they are. And that they don't have to do anything and win anything to have that already. Our baptism and remembering our baptism again and again and again tells us that we're not alone, that God loves us so much that because of what he's already done for us in Christ, we already have everything we're ever going to need. No need to be unconfident. So our job as the church, as the church's job has always been in every place, is to remind each other that we can be confident because we don't have to do it all alone with our own weapons. We can be confident because God is with us in Christ no matter what and no matter where. I know, like me, you would want to thank every person in your life, as I do in mine, who've reminded me in direct and indirect ways where I should be putting my confidence, steering me back. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Put on the whole armor of God, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the sword of the Spirit. In his book about Jesus called The Magnificent Defeat, Fred Buechner reminds us, there is another war every one of us fights. This other war is the war not to conquer, but the war to become whole and at peace inside our skins. It is a war not of conquest now, but of liberation, because the object of this other war is to liberate the dimension of selfhood which has somehow become lost. That dimension of selfhood that involves the capacity to forgive and the will to the good, not only of the self, but of all other selves. This other war is the war to become a human being. This is the goal that we are really after and that God is really after for us. That is the goal that power, success, and security are only forlorn substitutes for. This is the victory that not all our human armory of self-confidence and wisdom and personality can ever win for us. Not simply to be treated as human, but to become at last truly human. You'll walk taller, I'll walk taller, when we remember always who we are and whose we are. And may God continue to bless this amazing church. Amen.